Today I'm talking to Leslie Bartlett. She's been a friend of mine since grade nine, and her life has been an inspiration to me on my adoption journey. It was Leslie that inspired me to start a club for families who are fostering and adopting. And it was Leslie that inspired me to start our adoption journey. Today as you listen, pray about what God is asking you to do with children with special needs. And what is God asking you to do for older kids, teens, and even young adults who don't have families? Here is my conversation with Leslie. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, So we're going to start off with when did you first know that God was calling you um, into the foster care ministry? Um, well, I was pretty young at this time, and I, at that time I wasn't maybe 100% sure that that would be where God called me, but I was 12 years old, and I had had what would have normally been a normal um, surgery. I had my appendix operated on, but unfortunately there was a lot of complications and a lot of things that went wrong, and it ended up with me um, becoming very, very sick and to the point where doctors told my parents to prepare that I might not even survive and I ended up spending a long time in hostel and it was around Christmas time and my mom she bought this series for me and it was called Elizabeth Gale and it was about a little girl who um, was had grown up in the foster care system and she was 12 years old and she was coming to once again another foster home and um, this foster home had three biological children and it told about how she came to this home and they had this beautiful room for her and how she thought to herself, um, I could just love being here. And then that scared her and she ends up running away because she got so scared that she might get too attached to that place and she runs away. And then it goes on to tell the rest of her life um, how the family eventually, that eventually she becomes adopted and... Um, and how they also adopt another child. And I remember thinking, I was very young, but I thought, Lord, if I do survive, if, if this is something you would call me to do, this is, is something I would like to do when I'm older. I so much fell in love with the mother. Her name was Vera in the book. And she just seemed to me just so perfect, and I just wanted to be like her. Um, and then later on, I, I met my husband, and he was an only child really wanted to have had siblings, um, so it was a bit of a change for him, but I, he'll tell you that he doesn't remember this, but we weren't uh, going together for very long, and I told him that I want to have eight children, and I said I want to have um, both biological if I could, and I, I definitely want to adopt. Um, so we, not very long after we felt very, after we got married, felt called to uh, um, foster, and we um, had one biological son, and at the time we were very young, we got married very young, and um, when we went through and went called, I was only 19 years old, and my husband was 21, and they um, told us to come back and call back when we were when we're older, but not... Um, after I went back, I talked to his friend who had grown up in foster care, and she said to me, you know what, they're going to love you. Just 
go anyway. Go to the information se- session, and they'll see you, and, and they'll fall in love with you. So we went. We were quite determined, and we went, and um, we took all the training. And I joked with the um, gentleman who approved us, and I said, I think you, you must have waited till we till I had turned 20 because shortly after my 20th birthday, we signed the papers, and we were the youngest foster parents at the time. At that time, they said they didn't really approve people under the age of 30, and so we were by far the youngest, and I believe we're still to this day in our area the youngest um, foster parents that were ever approved. So that's crazy that God would call you into that at such a young age and then carry that dream all the way through. Um, So you've obviously fostered a lot of children over the last few years. One of the things that we know is hard for foster parents is letting children go. Are there any children that you've fostered um, that come to mind that was really hard um, when they left your home? Yeah, there's a few. Uh, I always think of one in particular, one little girl. We had had her. Um, since she was six months old, and we had her the first time till she was about two years old, and then she had uh, gone back to birth family, and then came back again. And I remember getting that call the second time, and just when they told me that she was back in care, and we would like her to be placed with us, just shaking because I thought, oh, this time probably would mean we would get the chance to adopt her. And I was excited and nervous. Um, unfortunately, well, good for the birth family, good that she could be returned. But unfortunately for us, um, she, she couldn't remain with us, and she was placed back with birth family. And it was a real, it was a real hard for our family because, both times uh, because she was so much part of our family. Uh, we were really, really attached to her. She, to us, really felt like our daughter, uh, and we had really bonded with her. And I think... As a foster parent, I, I think sometimes when a child's with you a long time and then when it looks like it's going to be like we were told that it looked like we would be able to adopt her, uh, you start in some ways laying your guard down a bit. And so because it looked like we were going to be able to adopt her, I, I started thinking long term. And so it was really hard when she left because I had allowed myself to think, okay, this is no longer going to be short-term. This is going to be long-term. She's going to be able to remain with us forever. And so when she left, it, it was um, it, it was a real struggle for, for all, all of us, for our kids, uh, our biological children as well. Who, um, we didn't have any other adopted children at the time, but it was really hard for our biological children as well. So... Um for people in the church, um, and they, if there is foster families in the church, what can the church do uh, to support foster families during that time period when a child who's been with them for a long time is leaving? I think um, just showing them that, that you care, that you're thinking of them, that you're praying for them. I think sometimes people don't realize that that you know that you go through a real grief period. So. Having people there who are um, trying to sympathize and be understanding that you are grieving, uh, that this child leaving your home, and just that they're really understanding of that really goes a long way. And just always I appreciate when someone says, I'm thinking of you or I'm praying for you. It's, it's really in your family. It's really appreciated. 
So for the person who's listening to this, who's like, well, okay, I was thinking about fostering, but that is the whole reason I'm not going to do it because I can't do that, that I can't open my heart up. It's going to be hurt. It's too hard for me. I wouldn't be able to handle that. What would you say to that person? I would say, well, it's just so, it's so worth it knowing that you are able to help a child who is in much need. And even if it's not long-term, you're able to help that child at that point in time when they really um, needed you. I remember one time when I had just said goodbye to another child and I thought, oh, I um, did I make an impact? Is that child even going to remember me? Did I make a difference? And I went to get my hair cut and their lady, we were talking, and I don't even know how it came up that I was a foster parent. But she mentioned to me that she had come into foster care at the age of 12 years old, and it was really only for a very short amount of time, only for a couple months. But she said to me that she had come from a family that was very, very dysfunctional, um, that she didn't have much stability or didn't really even know what real family life was like. And she said in those two months she got to see what a family could really be like and now she is married, she has children, and she said she always, when she always thought to herself, when I become a mother, I want to be just like this, my foster mom. I, I, I've seen how it, it, a family can be different, and I want my family to be like that when I grow up and I become a parent. And how even though it was a short amount of time, it made such a huge difference in her life. And so I thought that it was just, you know, we may only have a short amount of time to be an impact in a child's life, but we can still make such a huge difference in that child's life. So you talk there about someone who's 12, and I know your family has fostered and adopted older children. Most people seem to have a picture in their mind with the talk fostering or adopting of babies or toddlers or preschoolers. Why should a Christian um, be willing to think outside of that box and think about older children or teenagers? I think it, and I, you know, it, it can be really difficult. So I don't want to make it seem like it's it's just easy to adopt an older child because it, it can sometimes take a little longer to bond and connect, but it also can be so incredibly um, rewarding. I know our one, I, though we weren't able to legally adopt him, we morally adopted him, our one foster son. He came to us at age 13, and um, I truly consider him our son. Our um, one daughter, she came to us at the age of nine, but she was a, legally adopted at 11 years old. And to be able to see, though you maybe miss out on some of those first, like being able to watch them sit up or crawl or learn to walk, you get to see... So many more changes. Our daughter, she went from needing one-on-one EA support all the time, even um, during recess, to now she's able to be in a um, typical high school. At the time, they told us that they weren't sure that she would ever be able to even make friends, that if she had the ability to make friends, that they felt she really struggled with social. They weren't sure. They felt she was very delayed. They weren't sure she would be able to progress past um, the five-year-old level. So when you think about it, now she's in a regular high school, regular class with her peers, has lots of friends, does really, really well, uh, um, learning a lot from her siblings, 
to just see how far she's come. I mean, we still have a lot of ups and downs, but she's come such a long way. And it's just really rewarding to be able to see and to see how um, God can work in your life and, and speak into her life. Our um, older son uh, in high school, his one teacher said he had never seen such a change in all his life. He was retiring from teaching, had taught for many, many years, and he said, I've never seen such a change in anyone's life. Um, especially as, as, as Christians, being able to see these young people accept Jesus as the personal Lord and Savior and what Jesus can do, do for them and how Jesus can heal them, it's just, it's, it's remarkable. Um, but I would also say to people who have gone and they've adopted, and they, there's a lot of people out there who are really, really struggling. And I just remember with our son that there was a point that I thought, oh, you know, and our daughter as well, there's different points where I thought, I don't know, is this ever going to get any easier? Is it always going to be, um, you know, this difficult? And just being able to see Jesus can make the impossible possible and and he you know it may be a long time it can take a long time for healing for these young people have come through so much but god can really work in their life and really um and do amazing things things we possibly can't even possibly imagine because i've come to points where i thought oh that's not impossible and have seen amazing things that god can do uh, i know you've also adopted children with special needs uh, what would you say to someone who's afraid to foster or adopt somebody with special needs? Well, I just think of our, our little one. It, it's kind of funny because we came onto the route of um, our interest in special needs adoption was because our oldest son, he of our biological children, he was diagnosed with autistic tendencies, which would now be um, considered on the spectrum of autism uh, and different social anxieties. and. Um, and processing disorders. And I remember saying to my husband, I said, you know, if he hadn't grown up with us and he had grown up in this situation where he needed to, um, where he you know, had been in foster care and they were looking for an adoption home for him, would anyone choose him or would everyone just pass by his profile? Because those diagnoses could be pretty intimidating. And yet he is the most compassionate, loving, always willing to help, easy, sweetest, easygoing kid you ever want to meet, and so caring, and um, just amazing, amazing person. And I thought, like, would anyone even consider him? So that got us thinking, well, some of these diagnoses can be pretty scary. But it's kind of funny, in all our scenarios, um, God always seemed to, and I, and I say God because we, we would always have in mind who we thought would be the ideal child for us. And we always, each time, end up get, getting called about something completely, a completely different scenario. And I know you, like, you can both as foster parent, you do, you, you put down, you know, what ages you want to consider. And if you want to adopt a girl or a boy, or if you want foster, so you're allowed to say, like, these are special needs I feel I can handle. This is um, what I'm willing to consider. But for some reason, each time, a, a worker, and I believe it was God putting on the worker's heart to call us, and they were all scenarios that were totally different from what we were considering. But our first call was for our foster son, um, 
well, we had had many foster children prior to this, but when we decided we really wanted to look at fostering to adopt, our first call was about our foster son, who was a 13-year-old boy, and we, our sons weren't even that age yet, and what we had put down was we were interested in fostering to adopt a school-age girl, and so we weren't even considering taking in a 13-year-old boy, especially since that would be going out of birth order. And I do, I usually do recommend, in most cases it is good, but workers recommend not going out of birth order. And there is reasons behind that, and I, and I do understand that, why they have those reasons, why they tell you not to go out of birth order. But in some scenarios, it, it works out really well. And so we got this call, and I wasn't really sure, and my husband wasn't really, sh- we weren't really sure because this is a child who's older than our biological siblings. And they told us that, unfortunately, it, they didn't have anywhere else for him to be placed, and it was the holidays, and he would have to go to a group home. And I really did not want him to end up in a group home, and it was one of the group homes that I knew I know all the workers are really caring, but one I knew was one that was maybe not because it was emergency and they wasn't as good. And I just, it, it saddened me to think of him going there. So we ended up praying about it and saying yes, and he came um, to live with us. And I, I'm so thankful we did say yes to that. We went through a lot of really, really difficult times. He wasn't used to being part of a family. He had moved around a lot going from place to place. Um, he had been couch surfing on law friends' houses, but he also shares his story um, in an audio book, and, and there's stuff I didn't even know about, and you can really see God's hand in all of it, uh, it, it that God was there through his whole life um, and it, his hand in it. Um, then we decided to maybe once again put our name into foster again, and, and maybe we were still hoping to do actually adopt, so we were hoping for foster to adopt, and again, we said a, a school-age girl would be really, really great. I was doing home daycare. Our youngest was two at the time, and I thought, um, you know, I don't, we have had baby, biological children who are babies. There's so many people who are looking for babies, so we thought we would want to go older, and um, and then we got a call, and initially they t- thought it was just going to be short-term. They asked us if we could just do a short-term of a little baby girl who um, hadn't been born yet, but they knew was going to have some pretty significant special needs. And um, we ended up saying yes, and we figured it at the time it would probably be just short-term. Um, but when we went up to the hospital to see her, it was just instant, and even beforehand, I think I was working in our hearts, and we really felt like she was meant to be ours, but but we knew we had been told it was only going to be short-term, and I remember when we went up to visit her in the hospital, and she was in the hospital for quite a while, and was really initially not doing so well, um, and we went to see her, and I, and I just said to my husband, I looked at him, I said, oh, man, I'm in such trouble with this one, honey because it was just instant. It felt like she was meant to be ours. Um, not long later, the worker had came to visit us, and I had showed her that I got these pictures of her done, and I, um, and I said, because she was supposed to be placed in this other 
adoptive home, and I said, I've got these pictures, and I thought the adoptive parents would really appreciate it of them. And they said, did no one tell you? And I said, tell us what? And she said, well, actually, um, the, the that plan is not going to go forward. And I knew I didn't have to talk to my husband because I knew he felt the same way. We had both talked about how we felt like she was meant to be ours. And I said, well, can we put in a plan to adopt? Um, and there was a lot of unknowns. It seemed really, really scary because there's so much unknowns, but we just... We just fell in love with her, and she is our bundle of joy. We named her middle name Joy because she has um, just been such, uh, brought so much joy into her family. She is just so full of life, um, just a really happy-go-lucky kid. Everyone just falls in love with her. Yes, there are definitely, she has some diagnosis that would probably scare a lot of people, but it's just incredible watching her grow, learn, and develop, and how full of life she is. She's just um, just has a great big personality. We watched the movie Inside Out, and they talk about um, Goofball Island, and we always say that we think she spends most of her time on Goofball Island because <laughs> she's just such a funny, funny kid who keeps us laughing, and we're like, yeah, she loves to clown around and be silly, and and just, is, I can't even imagine our life without her. So, I just say to people, it's not to be so scared. People look at our kids, and, and uh, we often, when we, um, when, she, when our little one came to live with us, and, and we, we were adopting, and we got from people so often, oh, how did you end up with a baby? Because they're like, there's so many people who are wanting babies and you you have other children and how did you end up with a baby? But part of the reason was because her diagnosis scared a lot. A lot of people were scared, but people see her and they see our children and they're like, wow, they're just normal kids. We could adopt them. They're, they're just like any other kid. So I think people often um, get fearful when they hear some of these diagnoses, but these kids are just amazing and just incredible, and we can learn so much from them. Now, um, it, your kids are great. <laughs> we love your kids. But I know there are people who are fostering and adopting children that have a lot of special needs, especially kids who've been through trauma. And I can remember actually sitting at Tim Hortons with you and, um, many years ago, and you were sharing with me um, stories of people you knew who couldn't bring their children to church because um, the church just didn't, it's not they didn't want to have the kids there, but um, they had asked the kids not to return because they just weren't able to um, meet the needs that they had. And that's actually what um, started our club that we did for years. That was for foster and adoptive families. And why now I like to go to churches and um, speak about kids with trauma. But so if there's someone listening right now that's a youth leader or um, a children's pastor, what advice would you give them to help? Like where would they start as far as getting their um, youth programs and their children's programs to a place um, that is good for kids with trauma or special needs? There's so much training out there, and I know Adoption Council of Ontario and even Adopt for Life offers different trainings, um, usually for very low cost or or even for free for understanding both um, uh, developmental trauma and fetal 
spectrum disorder. And those are fabulous trainings to take to be able to understand that. Parents, so often, if their kids have some of these diagnoses, um, it's very hard for them to be able to even get a break to even be able to listen to a service. So sometimes these children need someone who could maybe be a one-on-one um, to support the, them. That's also true for pretty much anyone who's parenting children with special needs. It can be really, really difficult. It can also be very um, overwhelming. We, we've been so blessed. I know I this year we took our um, youngest to different vacation Bible schools, and both them were willing to work with them. But I just remember, um, I, unfortunately, I ended up in the, the hospital, back in the hospital, right before one was to take place. And I didn't, this year it's just been a little more busy. And so I was late registering our children for one. And um, the workers came to us and they said to me, unfortunately, they were concerned they wouldn't be able to offer the support to um, our youngest daughter that she would need for her to be able to come to the vacation Bible school. And I remember just feeling crushed. I, I thought, oh, you know, I really could use just a couple hours during my day. I also, she was so excited to go. So I, I was just so saddened that she wouldn't be able to go with her, her, her sister because I knew how crushed she would be not to be able to go. Um, but we did. We sat down and we and we came up with a, a plan of what we would, um, what we could do for her. And so, and, and in the end, they didn't even need that plan. She she was able to do very well. Um, but because of that, I went and she, we were going to take her to a vacation Bible school at the church we are currently attending. And I went to them and I said, "Listen, these are my daughter's special needs." Um, she can become very overwhelmed in very busy situations. She has uh, uh, sensory processing and different diagnoses, and I'm um, not sure how she'll be. Can we, you know, do some brainstorming? Of can she come? First of all, can she come? And they, they were so great. So both were really good. Like they both came, you know, up beside me and, and helping. Um, come up with a plan, but I was so thrilled. They're like, of course you can come. We'll think of a plan, and it was so terrific for me because I came that first day to VBS, and this one lady who I've gone to know but really didn't know very much at the time, she came to me, and she had gone home, and she had done some brainstorming, and she came to me, she goes, do you think this would work? And she had all these great ideas, and I wasn't sure really at the time if, if it would be a help or not, but the fact that she was so invested in my child to see if there was any ideas that could help her was just it, it just thrilled me in and I was so happy and um, she also said you know I can go with you to talk to the other teachers and, and you know so you can share and so they can know about her needs and when you start coming to church on Sunday I can do the same and it was just so helpful that these people took such an interest in my daughter. Um, we also had a time where we had fostered two little boys who actually had come from um, two failed adoptions. And they had what would have been diagnosed at the time as reactive attachment disorder, but it's, it could be considered developmental trauma now. And they could be pretty, at times, pretty aggressive. 
um, but they really, they progressed. They were doing really, really well. And so being able to have a church that's willing to sit and brainstorm with you of how they could support you, how they could wrap around your family, how they could be a help, and be able to um, offer that support so that you're able to attend church. And maybe there is scenarios where it's not possible. Maybe the child isn't able to come with you to church because for some reason that's just too overwhelming. But maybe there's some couples in the church who do have experience with special needs or and maybe you know, they could be asked or, or maybe it could even be brought forth to the church to see and maybe you know, you never know. There's usually people who are willing to help. It's just they don't realize that the need and maybe someone who if it's approached and they hear about the need, they even be willing to um, help stay with the children so that those parents can maybe get a chance to go out, be able to go to church, and um, be able to be with other Christians, which is, is such a would be such a blessing, I imagine, to a couple who maybe would be in that situation. Oh, that's a lot of really good ideas. <laughs> um, that's terrific. Okay, now you have uh, started a special ministry specifically for children who are aged out of the system. So that means that they um, are no longer in foster care because they are too old, but they were never adopted. So what uh, made you want to start this ministry? Well, it had been on my heart for quite a while because I had worked in group homes. And I had worked, um, and I've shared the story a few times, but I had worked in a group home, and at one point there was a young man there, and... And I had, with all the kids I had worked with, I they were always so much on my heart. I had never forgotten any of them. But at one point, there was a young man there who was very, very depressed, and he tried to end his life. And he ended up, um, I, I called my manager and asked what needs to be done. And they said, well, he needs to be brought in. Um, you, you have to call 911 and have them take him into the hospital. And I was working night shifts at that time and um, had worked all night long. But I went in and I wanted to check on him and see how he was doing. And I came into the hospital and he was all alone and he was in the corner and just in the field position. And you got a picture. These kids play often. They're older teenagers. So they would, in most cases, be taller than me. But really, they were still just children. They were still just kids. And he, and I thought, he's just so alone. He looks so scared. And, and I thought, how much more, you know, he tried to end his life because he felt so very alone in this world. And here he is in the corner, no one there, no one sitting there with him. He had spent the whole night in the hospital all on his own. How, how much more would he feel completely alone? So I tried to stay with him as long as I could, and then I had to go back in um, to work the night shift, and then I went back to try to visit him, so very little sleep over that weekend. And I had never forgotten that boy, and part of the reason was because that had really stayed with me, of this this young man who really seemed like that he didn't have very many people in his life. Um, There was us workers that he didn't, didn't have strong parental figures, and I always wondered what happened to him when he left the group home. And so I, I, that thought went to my head many times, what happens to these kids? 
And um, as our foster son, he got older, and he went through a time where he did go to choose to live in a care home. We had different things happen, and he felt he couldn't follow the rules of our household. He went to the uh, care home, um, and he found out there quickly that a lot of the rules, same rules we had here at our house were the same rules they had there. And then he came back, and he came back to live with us, and we still remained part of his life even when he was of the age where it's considered that he showed, even though when he turned 18, he still remained living with us for a bit till he went off to college. But it got me thinking again, okay, well, what ha- what happens to these kids? Um, so I went to a training session, and it was by, I think it was Kevin Campbell, um, and, and but they showed a video from place to place, and I was there with another couple from the church and my husband, and we watched that, and it was talking a lot about youth who are aging out of foster care and they also said um, at the training that it's good for someone a youth to have about 14 significant people to wrap around in their life Um, so it got us thinking again and then I ended up watching this documentary and it was with three youth who had aged out of foster care and they ended it and at the end of it um, it said that prior to the end of this documentary, that two of the young men in it had ended their life um, before they had even finished the documentary. And I thought, something has to be done. So many of these young people are ending up homeless and um, on their own and just feeling really, really lost. I thought, you know, we need to figure out something so that these kids have someone in their life that they can turn to, that they can call if they, when they go through difficult times. So many of us t- just take all that for granted of things like having somewhere to go for Christmas, Thanksgiving, or holidays, um, someone who remembers your birthday, our parents who call just even about the little things in, in life. Um, and, we, and we just take that so much for granted. I, I also remember hearing a story of a young lady who didn't even want to go to her own graduation. And when the worker asked, well, why why don't you want to go to your graduation? And she said, because there's going to be no one sitting there to watch me graduate. And that should be the case. No kid should be thinking those thoughts of who's going to be there to watch me graduate from high school or who's going to be there to walk me down the aisle or... Um, is going to be there for those significant things in my life. So for someone listening to this, um, I guess there's a couple of things they could do, right? If they're thinking about adoption, they could be thinking older children that are getting ready to phase out of the system to give them a home and a family. Um, but maybe there's someone and they're thinking, you know, um, uh, they weren't, they're, they're not at a place, they don't have um, a place their family or in their home where they could have someone come in and live with them, but maybe... Uh, taking in somebody who has uh, already left foster care, taking them into their family, but not necessarily into their home. What would that look like? So we have a lot of mentors who come on, and what they do is that young person does not live with them. They have their own place that they're living in, but they do whatever they would do for if you had a growing child, things like um, having them over for dinner, for the birthday or taking them out for their birthday. 
having them come in. So many also, they, they are in college, but people don't think of this, but when the dorms close for holidays and everyone has somewhere to go, where do these young people go? Um, but even if that's not a you know ability for someone to even have a young person stay with them over Christmas, just even having them in for a Christmas dinner or taking them out on to special things, just calling them or allowing them to call them and check to check in on them. Um, and, you know, being there on holidays or special things that that young person may have going on, to, going on in their life. Uh, it varies. All our um, mentors, it, it depends on both the young person and the mentor of what that relationship will look like. Some of our young people, you know, desire to have more contact, and some of our mentors desire to be more active in youth life, but sometimes some, you know, it, it's maybe they're not, um, they just want someone to check in on them once in a while. So it, it looks different depending on the mentor and the the young adult in the program of what exactly that might look like. So um, if there's someone who uh, was interested in that and they wanted to know more about how they could get involved as a mentor in that program, um, how could they get a hold of you? Um, so we are on Facebook under wraparound82.3, um, so that's the easy way, or they can, um, email me, it, so I don't know if I could give you our email address later, but it is my name, so it's lesliebartlett@gmail.com. We do have a webpage as well, so I can maybe send those links to you, um, and so they could get a hold of me either that way or um, through Facebook or through email or or um, calling me and um, and I, I could send those links and our contact info is on our Facebook page and on our um, on our web page as well. All right. So as we're wrapping up here with the time, um, the last question we'd like to pray for you today. So what special prayer requests uh, could people be praying for today for you? Um, if you could just really pray for my older son, he's going through some real hard times. Um, our, our oldest who came to us at 13, and our our other children as well. Our youngest, she is such bon joy, but that she'll just come to know Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior. That comes to that understanding, but also that um, just you know help her. Prayers for our family are always appreciated as, as for Catholic children and, and also for our older daughter that um, she does profess faith, faith in Christ, but just our children, they, they're going through a lot of healing and, um, and they do have a lot of their ups and downs struggles. And so we always just appreciate people praying for our family um, and for our children and that God will continue to just really work in their life and in their hearts. All right, we will do that, and we will keep you in our prayers today. Thank you, Leslie, for sharing your story with us and also for um, being such an impact in the foster care community. I know that wherever I go, where there are foster families or adoptive families, everybody knows you. Like You have put an impact on everybody in this community, uh, in the foster care adoption community. So thank you for everything you do to help all of us. Thank you so much for having me. All right, bye. I hope that you really enjoyed today's podcast. 
um, you can check out our website, lauraleesiemens.com, and then click on the Foster and Adoption section on that to see um, more blogs, um, some videos, and more podcasts. And also make sure you subscribe to this podcast so that you won't miss any. We're going to be having some more episodes coming up where Leslie and I are going to sit down and answer questions that you have about fostering and adopting. So please send in those questions to us so that we have something to talk about when we get together and do our podcast. In the meantime, subscribe to our podcast, Gifts from God, and we will see you next week.